Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Andy Klein, editorial director here at QSR. And so this week, I, if you are a frequent reader of QSR, I probably don't need to do much of an introduction here because Sherry Kimes has been kind enough to lend her expert take on a lot of different subjects over, I think it's been probably more than a year now, and also she was a presenter at our recent conference talking about dynamic pricing. And so, Sherry, first of all, this is a long time coming. Thank you for joining us. I want to, um, I'm just going to open the floor here for a second, as we always do, to just allow you to tell everybody a little bit about yourself, about your background, and we'll take it from there. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. And my name is Sherry Kimes, and I am very into pricing and revenue management. I was a professor at Cornell for 29 years, which is a long time for someone who really hates snow. Um, And I started looking at revenue management when I first started at Cornell. And I started teaching a class in restaurant revenue management about 25 years ago, which is hard to believe, probably older than some of your reader, some of your readers and followers. Um, but it's what what I look at revenue management it has applications in so many industries and pricing is part of revenue management. And it's a way that restaurants can use their capacity to their to the best that they possibly can to maximize revenue and at the same time you know, maintain customer satisfaction because I'm talking about long-term revenue growth not short-term. Well I, I want to I have to ask you quickly about hating snow. Um, where were you from before? St. Louis and when I moved to upstate New York I thought I'd been in winter and when I was interviewing yeah. for the job at Cornell the guy who was interviewing me, I, he said, do you have any unusual questions? And I said, yeah, I hear it snows a lot there. He said, well, we only get six feet. I went, six feet? Oh, my God. And he said, well, an hour north, they get nine. I went, oh, oh. But they had an airport there, so all was fine. Yeah. I've had, I mean, I grew up in New York, but I've never been to Cornell. I don't think I ever went that far upstate. And also, I wasn't obviously smart enough to go to school there, so I didn't I do not. I am not familiar with that uh, in that depths of the winter in New York. <laughs> well, depths is right. They, the 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 motto for Ithaca is Ithaca is gorgeous. It is gorgeous, and they have a lot of gorgeous, but it's also very cloudy and very snowy. Yeah, my brother went to Syracuse, which was uh, Ooh. was rough. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, terrible looking uh, place, but a good school. So um, yeah, just cold. Yeah. All right. Well, so so let's get in. Let's start with. Um, so you've written a lot of articles for us on this subject, and and one, you know, I think when we first got started, it was kind of the the what, why, how, and you know where and when. <laughs> we covered a lot of different bases on on this uh, conversation. So I think the best place to start would be with the what. Um, you know, if anyone isn't familiar with what dynamic pricing is, or at least its uh, application in the restaurant industry, how would you describe that to somebody? Um, the best way to describe it, I think, is happy hour on steroids. Um, it's very, it's it's varying price based on demand because demand very demand goes all over the place. I mean, we've got ups and downs. It's kind of like a roller coaster, and so it's having you know lower prices to try to attract demand during slow periods and not offering those discounts during during high demand periods. Um, and you think about it, happy hour. That's what happy hour is all about, right? Um, it's just kind of taking the, the happy hour and extending it to other periods where we might need it. The other thing with it too is that um, sometimes people get 
confuse it with surge pricing. It's not surge pricing. It's basically how can we use price to help help kind of level out our demand levels and also at the same time maximize revenue for the restaurant. Why do you think it's, you know, I often get this, I'll see it on, you know, LinkedIn or somewhere or somebody be like the controversial topic of dynamic pricing. And in my brain, I'm always thinking, these people live in an alternative uh, universe of buying things because I don't see what's controversial about it myself other than maybe the transparency and and how some organizations go about it. But why do you think it gets that kind of an umbrella? And I, and I would say that mostly applies to restaurants, I think in retail and, you know, you know, planes and hotels, people kind of understand that but you know what is why is that that you see that sometimes well first of all i think i I would stay away i think dynamic pricing has become kind of a buzz term shall we say and um, it's demand-based pricing and so yes hotels and airlines have done it for years but you see also like with all the um, hoopla about Ticketmaster was talking about dynamic pricing, and it's all whenever it's presented, it's always like, oh, you know, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to screw the customer. But at the same time, you look at restaurant. I mean, look at hotels and airlines. I mean, you could get really the, the overall prices now are lower than they used to be, um, but there are conditions associated with it. And I think too, one thing that's kind of interesting here, I did some research on well, when I first started looking at revenue management. I would talk to the hotel people at the corporate level and they would all say, oh, this is it works really well. It's fantastic. And then I would talk to people working at the front desk at the hotels and they would go, oh, my God, it's horrible. People complaining all the time. And so I got really interested in how customers react to these practices. And so I did a study a long time ago, like 20 some years, I don't know, longer ago. And maybe 25, 30 years ago on um, different pricing practices in the hotel and airline industry um, and asking people to evaluate their fairness. And they thought the airline ones were perfectly fine. The hotel ones they thought were awful, terrible, terrible, terrible. I repeated the same study eight, eight or 10 years later, and it was the same. And so I think that some of what's going on in the restaurant industry is that it's new. And also, Danny, as you mentioned, I think a lot of it is the communication, like that article that came out, I don't know, a few weeks ago about some pub in the UK that was, um, you know, they were saying, yeah, we're charging more. And they had really did not have very good communications with it. And it's also, you mentioned, it's the transparency, giving customers control. Because if you take the control away from customers, they will, they will, they will remember that and it's not a good thing. Right. And and I think that's kind of a good segue into talking a little bit about the some of the implementation or or I guess what we would call the uh the wear of uh of demand based pricing. I gotta change my uh, vernacular here. <laughs> or we just um, call it pricing. I mean that's another way we could just make it even simpler. Yeah. Well I kinda like demand based pricing because it makes me sound smarter. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so, you know, you've written a couple articles for us and, and one of the things that we've talked about is, is the all purpose shelf. Um, then we talk about them, we got cold and there's, there's different elements to what we're getting into here, but I guess, you know, what, what is an all purpose shelf and what does that mean? I mean, in the, in the kind of world of revenue management here. 
Well, with you know, demand with revenue management, I always think of it. Well, it's a long story, but basically, you've got to pull the right tool out, and so it's and so if it's demand based pricing, you've got things that you do when it's busy. So that's hot, hot. I mean, easy, hot. You could call it red, and cold is when you need really need the business. And then the all-purpose shelf are things that could help generate revenue for you no matter what. So you think about things like menu design and menu engineering and upselling and packaging and all of that. It doesn't matter whether you're busy or not. Those are those are things that are going to generate revenue for you. Um, and things that a, a lot of, I mean, a lot of restaurants, they know about it, but they don't necessarily follow through and and there it's not that it's not really that hard um it's just but it's really more a matter of discipline which sometimes being disciplined about implementing stuff is is hard yeah i mean i think um i think the the topic of pricing in general right now i i would say more than anything comes up i was at a franchisee conference not too long ago um they had me talking. I gave like a little presentation on the state of the industry. And then once I was done, first question somebody asked me was how much price is too much price as, as though I would know the answer. Cause I, I definitely did not know the answer at all to that. But, um, you know, but, but one thing about your articles that I've always enjoyed is that there are ways to approach that question. I, I think that are not just take 10, 11%, right. You know, and that's maybe, one of the ways that the industry can navigate things. So tell us a little bit, um, just some strategies you've seen out there. You know, I know, you know, a lot of times you kind of mention some companies, you know, I'm looking at this, uh, one here about, I think you pronounce this, uh, dynamite, dynamite, mm-hmm. you know, integrating pricing recommendations with menu engineering. So yeah, just give us some examples of, of kind of this stuff in the wild. Well, I mean, and, and you like what Dynamite does is that it's a company out of Spain and you know, they're doing, they're varying price based on demand. And so it's not like they're just taking, um, you know, a 10% increase across the board. There's some items that have more price sensitivity than others. And I mean, it's kind of similar to the kind of stuff that like sauce and juicer and RMS do. So they're looking at the economics of it. You know, basically back to um, Econ 101 with price elasticities. Um, and I'm not going to get into Econ 101 uh, by any means, but, you know, there's different sensitivities. And and the other thing I think is really interesting with what Dynamite does is that they, as I said, they tie it in with menu engineering. So they have something on, they have something in there that, so they can, during a busy period, it's all digital kind of stuff, right? They could reduce the menu. And they also have something in there. They told me that um, depends on how long it takes to make. And I said, oh, come on. Like people really know how long each item is going to take. They said, no, we have that as long or short. I said, okay, that works. Um, but if you think about it, it's kind of uh, restricting the menu during the busy periods. And there were several sessions at the QSR Evolution Conference where they were talking about the benefits of smaller menu size and then the impact that that could have during a busy, that gets into the busy periods, right? Um, in terms of being able to produce, produce more. And then there's another company so a Finnish company called Price FF, and I don't know why they're called Price FF, other they're in Finland. Um, so maybe that's the F. But they use they 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 vary prices on just on the delivery fee, and they change. They've got a range, and they change the. Um, I think they change the price every ten minutes, and they post it online so people can track it. 
Um, and there are some people who do track it and they've been able to grow revenue, but at the same time, they've been able to even out the demand fluctuations, which is, I mean, it's most, you know, for restaurant operators, being able to smooth the demand is really, really helpful. Yeah. And another tool I know you've referenced before is upselling and suggestive selling, which having just, um, released our drive-through study or, or reports was, is always um, something that we track every year of how many mystery shoppers get upselled, you know, and uh, you have a point in here about, you know, digital menus having a 10 to 30% higher average check. So one of the things we actually took a look at this year was, was that very correlation of, you know, whether or not that upselling was coinciding with whether or not people had, you know, order confirmation boards or just, you know, digital assets in general. And of, of course, it, if you had that, it tended to be higher because you didn't have employees forgetting to do it. <laughs> well, also, yeah, yeah. And, and, exactly. and I mean, and it's kind of the, I mean, it, and you also have like, even like with kiosk ordering, I mean, you get the, you don't have somebody standing behind you looking over your shoulder. Yeah. And so, I mean, we've all had that situation when you're looking at this, kind of complicated menu and there are people behind you and it's like, oh crap, I better order something soon. Or the other thing that happens is that I know they found this with, with online ordering and kiosks, not necessarily with the, you know, the AI things, but um, people will tend to order things maybe that are not so healthy um, because you might be, if, you, if, you, if you're talking to somebody, you say, well, I'm going to have the triple cheeseburger with bacon and all this kind of stuff. You might be concerned that the person is going to look at you like, what? Um, whereas if it's just the machine or the AI, they don't have, they don't, won't judge you on it. So there's something, there's something about that too. That would be an interesting thing to, uh, to look at in your study next year is, uh, whether, well, I mean, that's not, you wouldn't have the mystery shoppers do it, but I bet people order different things. Oh yeah. I remember years ago when, um, digital ordering was, was first just becoming a thing. And I think it was, it was Crystal I was talking to and they were just like, one of the things that psychologically has been very helpful here is that people don't feel bad about ordering 50 burgers anymore. <laughs> they're not, they're not, they're a not embarrassed by the concept and they also don't feel like they're, you know, going to have the person behind them, you know, rolling their eyes of like, Oh God, I got to wait behind mm-hmm. this guy who just ordered seven boxes of, you know, tiny burgers. So there's something to be said about the, that part, you know, even like if I go to Shake Shack and I want to order like a, um, like a milkshake and I may feel kind of weird about it normally. <laughs> it's, it's a lot easier if I just see it pop up onto the screen and nobody is near me. So it, it does make sense to me, but I, I wanted to, um, and we were talking about the uh, cold shelf there. So there is also a hot shelf, which I think people were, <laughs> were probably figuring out here, but um, talk about the, the idea of, of hot here as, as you kind of, uh, as you define it and, and what it means for operators? Well, basically, hot is where you've got excess demand. Now, I, I, I had one time I got an email from some students, like at th- they sent it at three in the morning. I was not awake to read it at three in the morning. I want to make that clear. And the title of it was, What's Hot? And I thought, oh, those poor kids, they need some sleep. But but what is busy? Well, it's when you're when you've got excess demand, when you I mean, when you can't I mean, you've got more demand than you can handle. And so at periods like that, you want to take full advantage of it. 
Um, and so you want to, this goes back to reducing the size of your menu. This goes back to like the kind of stuff that the, you know, the industrial engineers or like service physics of those sorts of people do. I try to get as much out of your kitchen as possible um, and making sure that you're not, not having discounts available. And that's where technology really comes in too, because basically you're trying to get as many people through as possible and because you've only got it's not all the time that you're super busy and so you want to maxim you want to leverage that as much as possible so you don't want to be having you know uh not having enough employees you want to be sure you're just big you just want to make sure that you're getting as much out of it as you can and that's also a time you know with the pricing as i said no discounts then but you could also kind of look at how the airline and hotel industry does it like the hotel industry has something called rack rate which is the maximum price that they can charge um and they publish that but everything everything is everything else is is discounted from there there's never it's never above rack rate same thing for airlines with full fare but they have the same thing i mean if you look at a hotel you know they're try the other thing is picking the right customers to come at that time um, if you've got a well-developed loyalty program or well-developed CRM program, you want to make sure that you are aiming those time, aiming, aiming uh, messages to the, to those people who are likely to be able to want to spend more. Yeah. And I think you see this a lot now. Um, and you had mentioned it in a story too, about loyalty programs being kind of a place to, you know, send offers to people during these peak or, or hot periods, you know, where you might be able to even give them like a secret menu if they're a high value guest or just something like that, that that's a deal that's not, you know, necessarily discount based. It's more like a VIP based, which is something I, I've heard a lot of people start to talk about that they're actually looking for that more from loyalty or, or as much from loyalty as they are just from discounts. So, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting development. Yeah, and the same thing's happening in full service restaurants, you know, the ones that take reservations, because they've got the same thing. They've got super busy periods. And so during those really busy times, if they have a well-developed loyalty program, you know, sending messages out, you know, having special special occasions for their high value guests. Um, or making it easier, you know. There's some. There was some story in the New York Times the other day about getting the reservation in New York City, um, and um, you know it's so hard to get and blah 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 blah. But from a restaurant's perspective, you want to have your highest value guests there. You, you don't want the you don't want the people who are going to go there and sit there and drink tea all night. Oh yeah, it makes it makes sense to me. I, I remember seeing something about Chipotle raising their prices and then. You know, the idea was that they weren't they weren't really hurting their highest value guests anyway. So so it wasn't really as big a deal for them as, you know, whatever traffic they might have been losing were from the people who weren't spending that much anyway. You know, even and not and not just in being frequent guests, but also what they were ordering when they were coming in. You know, they weren't adding on chips and so forth. So they did not really hurt their um, their cash cow, so to speak. But you know, I will say, so one of the articles that you wrote for us that was probably, at least recently, the most uh, attention that I saw was was the one where you were talking about, you know, a decade ago when you were asked how to design the optimal happy hour. So first of all, I'm kind of curious, 10 years ago versus now, the you know, the, free, the concept of happy hour, 
I mean, are they even comparable or how much has that just changed? I think it's pretty much the same, but I think the yeah. but when when I run into restaurant operators who are very leery about, well, I would never use have to, you know, dynamic pricing and I would never do any of this kind of stuff. It's horrible. Um, do you have happy hour? Well, yeah. Well, how is it any different? And so I think it's it's I think it's a matter of um, now. I think now there's maybe a little bit more in terms of well, what should be included in the happy hour and how you know how long should it be? Um, but when it comes right down to it, I think it's the same thing. Um, you know, we might we, it'd be great if we were a lot more scientific with it, but I think that's still kind of a work in progress, quite frankly. Yeah, well, what I think is interesting about it, too, is, as you talked about in the story, was the definition of it. I think in our brains, most of us imagine we're at a sports bar and you go, you know, you've got to sit at the counter and you get a different menu and it's cheaper and drinks are, you know, from two to four or whatever. But the truth is this is happening in quick service all over the place in different ways. You know, Taco Bell's got something or, you know, they might just kind of send discounts or promos during these specific periods. And I, I guess where I'm getting at is that, you know, really any restaurant chain can kind of view a certain period of their calendar or day as being a quote unquote happy hour that they can respond to by, you know, whatever kind of promotion to kind of generate some more traffic during a time that's, you know, generally pretty low, low rate. Um, so yeah, what, I mean, what have you seen that kind of fits into well, hopefully I'm not just talking crazy. No, 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 you're not at all. I mean, you yeah. think about like with Taco Bell, I mean, I mean, Taco Tuesday, I mean, that's what that, that's what that was all about. I mean, yes, it's an alliteration, but I mean, Tuesday nights must've been pretty slow. So that works. Or you look at some of the stuff that Starbucks does with, with certain times of times of day and everything, but there's, I mean, it's basically taking the happy hour concept Maybe it's not as happy because there's no, you know, it doesn't have alcohol involved with it and things like that. But um, it's, it, but essentially, what happy hour is about is building demand during slow, slow periods. And so, and I think now too, you know, with um, you know, development of technology, it's easier to be able to send those to send those messages out. And you know, and you know, that goes also goes back to CRM. If you know who your guests are. What you think about that 10 years ago, if you're talking about the difference between happy hour then and now, um, now a lot of restaurants, quick service restaurants know who their guests are if they have a CRM. Um, Because otherwise, you know, if you don't have the guest data, I mean, it's kind of hard to target things. I mean, you could spend a lot of money on advertising and it doesn't really go to the people that need to see it. Yeah, I don't think I talking to any restaurants anymore who don't have data. That's been one of the big changes to come out of the last four years. I think the, I think you do get a really big wide gap from how people are using that data. And that's maybe the question that comes up most often is what do I do with this? Yeah. Well, there's a difference between data and information, right? So there's yeah. tons of data. And then I, what I always tell my students is that there's two rules of data. Number one, you can't get it. And rule number two is it's dirty. And so, so sometimes you'll have a lot of data, but it's, you know, it's just garbage. Um, but then you've got to get it. I mean, and I think that's really overwhelming for a lot of companies because it's, you know, how do I get that data into a format where I can, for, I can quickly make decisions because I don't want to be sitting there and, you know, having to analyze stuff all day. 
and I probably don't have people working for me who want to, uh, I want to have the, t- they don't have the time to be able to do that or they don't have the ability. So I want something that's going to tell, help me, tell me what to do. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what role AI plays in that. Because that's definitely something that's coming in terms of like using AI just to take all this data and make some sense of it. It's been going on for probably longer than it's been getting talked about with, you know, the famous Internet of Things, which is one of my least favorite um, phrases in the world. But, but, but I get the concept of it. But restaurants have been having that kind of equipment, you know, that's plugged into a, you know, some kind of digital means for a long time. It's just getting a lot more sophisticated, you know, and it's becoming very buzzy and all that kind of stuff. But these things have been here for a while, but I think it all comes down to that exact point of what are you going to do with all this information that you have? And, you know, how could you actually use it to make your business better, to make customers happy, all these kind of things. And how can you do it easily? Um, Because I mean, I'm sure you've seen some of the different um, systems that are out there that have got, you know, they, they, I mean, they slice bread. I mean, they, I mean, they do everything. They're perfect. And I'm using the slicing, they're not actually slicing bread, but I mean, they've got multi-purpose and they're fantastic and they look like they were designed by engineers. And then um, I've seen people, you, you operators using those. And I said, what do you do with them? They go, well, you know, uh, we look at the logbook. And so you've got to have something that is designed in a way that it makes it easy for people to make decisions so that they don't have to sit all day staring at a computer screen. Yeah. So where do you think all of this is going from here? (laughs) I mean, I feel like you've been keeping busy just uh, educating folks on all this, but you know, from your perspective of talking to operators and, and everybody else, I mean, what are the questions that you're hearing most often that people are trying to solve? I think the biggest thing with talking with operators is I think that there is a, I think they know it's possible. I think they're worried about how their customers are going to react to it. And the research I've done on that is that customers are fine with it as long as you do a couple of things. Um, Number one is that you're transparent because people don't like to have a fast one pulled on them, um, and that there are reasons associated with why people um, you know, pay, pay different prices. And and the other thing, actually, there's several things. The other one is that you always want to be framing things as a discount rather than framing them as a surge price. To say surge pricing is basically what goes through goes through my mind and most people's minds is wait 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 whoa, whoa, whoa you're, you're you're trying to take stuff from me. If you tell me if you come at this time, you get 10% off, I'm going, great. And there's a lot of research that goes goes on. That's kind of the way our brains work. And so, but, you know, the trans, but, but the, first, the reason I first did some research on how customers react to demand-based pricing in restaurants, it was like 20 years ago. And I kept getting this from restaurant operators that go, they would say something along the lines of, we're running a restaurant, not an, not an airline. This would never work for us. And my, my reaction to those are like fighting words to me um, as a researcher. Like, oh, really? And customers are fine with it. But the communication and the transparency matters. Yeah. And definitely to your point of how you just even talk about it. I remember this has been coming up for years and even it's something like, you know, to me, the word plant, plant-based um, was invented because uh, people didn't like the way vegetarian sounded. <laughs> I, I, I think years ago, it was kind of like if you put 
if you were a vegetarian restaurant or you had a vegetarian menu item, you were instantly asking someone to associate themselves with something and they either wanted to be or they didn't want to be. But once you started to say, you know, plant-based, it was like, hey, well, okay, you know, I might be someone who eats steak on Fridays. I'm not a vegetarian, but I will eat this plant-based meal because, I, you know, I'm trying to be a little bit healthier. But it was, you know, it was just all in the way it was framed. Um, yeah, I think restaurant consumers are probably a pretty fickle breed and they want to feel like, you know, they're getting value, however it is that they define that. So, um so I guess my question is, you know, going forward, um, you know, where, where do you think is sort of the next uh, stage for this, you know, as a, a little bit of a preview, we're going to have, you know, you and three other, de- you know, demand-based pricing uh, <laughs> experts talk about the topic in Atlanta in next September. So what do you, what do you think if you had to just take a time machine that you four of you are going to be kind of battling it out on? Well, I don't think we'll be battling. I mean, we might friendly, be babbling, babbling. Bab- babbling, not battling. But uh, um, I think it'll be, you know, how do, um, you know, the implementation and the communication, I think that's the the biggest part. And then how do you, and I mean, the implementation, because, you know, then you get into, okay, how does it get integrated in with the POS and all the other systems? Um, how is it shown on the menu boards? Do you need to have consistency across channels? Um, what about, there's another big topic that we haven't even touched on, um, um, delivery platform uh, pricing. Should they, does it have to be um, at parity? How, and if, if it does, what, how do you manage that? I think that'll probably be something we're still arguing about that are, are discussing at, at, at some point. But I mean, but pricing to me is, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a fascinating topic because it's, I mean, the math part is actually the easy part. It's the, the part that gets, that makes it even, I think more challenging is the kind of the psychology, the psychology of it and the implementation, but pricing is just part of revenue management. There's so many other things that we could, that restaurants can do to try to maximize their revenue that you know, pricing being one, but the way you manage your capacity and your menu and everything else matter a whole lot too. Yeah. The, the delivery uh, topic you you hinted at there is one very large rabbit hole to uh, dive into. To me, I think the you know the transparency part of that plays into there as well. I mean, I, I remember I think it was Shake Shack who you know kind of just came out. And we're like, well, it's going to be twenty percent more on delivery. It's like, oh, okay, well, you know, people are probably going to be willing to pay that because they understand that. But where it starts to get dicey in in my mind is for the for the brands who don't control their pricing on those platforms and maybe didn't even realize they were on those platforms, which used to happen a lot. And uh, now suddenly their value proposition is a little bit confusing. And so that, that control keeps a lot of operators up at night. Um, I think the chains are getting better at that and understanding how to illustrate it to folks and then offering them alternatives either through loyalty or, you know, a Chipotle on the side of a restaurant or whatever it might be. But yeah, that topic's going to just always be there. Well, um, I mean, the hotel industry has got the same thing because they have, you know, all the Expedias of the world and they charge, you know, 25, depending on the size of the hotel chain, you know, that's negotiable, sounds familiar. And um, the hotels hate it. 
but it's been around for about 25 years and it's not going away because consumers like it. And as opposed to in the restaurant industry and the hotel industry, by contract, they have to have price parity, except for in the EU. So the hotels have figured out, they still grumble, but they have figured out how to work with it. And kind of the things, some of the things you mentioned with the uh, leveraging the loyalty program and things like that help a lot. Yeah, well, safe to say we will re- uh... We will readdress this in September, but uh, <laughs> see you oh, in September and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But before I let you go, Sherry, um, something I always do, you know, if anyone is out there who's listening who wants to learn more, and I'm sure that there are those people, what where's a good place they can just find you, or maybe reach out for some more information? Yeah, well, I've, I've actually got everything. Everything is on my website, so it's just sherrykimes.com. Um, and I've got all my articles, pretty much all the articles I've ever published and some blog posts and different things like that. So, and it's free. So, hey, why not? Um, you know, or, or also feel they could feel, feel free to, it can contact me through the, the webpage that would work or through LinkedIn is fine too. You know, I didn't know you had a website. I do. I'm a, I'm One of my former now. students helped set it up. Actually, I was going to say he helped set it up for me. Let me rephrase it. He set it up for me. <laughs> yeah, it looks good. It's, uh, this is pretty official. So it's nice. All right. Well, cool. Thank you, Sherry, for joining us. And of course, you know, thank you so much for all the continued, um, you know, leadership. So, you know, we, we appreciate it here. Well, it's been a lot of fun. And thanks for giving me the opportunity. It's nice to, and from, from, for me, it's so exciting to see people actually doing stuff that I've been talking about for 20 some years. It's, it took a while, but it's finally happening. So that's great. Yeah, and only going to get more so, I think, here in the next couple of years as, as people try to figure out. Because as we always talk about, especially in quick service, I mean, you can't, unless you're a pizza chain, you really can't go down in price. So people are going to have to find ways now to be this more elevated priced version of themselves and yet still be value-based. So it's going to get it's going to get pretty creative in the next uh, couple of months, I think. I would I would say so. Yeah. Even Domino's is, you know, giving away pizza for student loans or something. So you're going to see all these kind of deals. But but yeah, thank you so much, Sherry. Um, For everybody out there who's listening, as always, we appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot.